You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Quickly feeds Matt Barzell, who gains the zone, cuts back Barzell. One more for Brassard, he scores! A thing of beauty for Barzell to Brassard and a two-goal lead for the Islanders. Islanders country, hello. This is P.T. Isles, the We Still Don't Need You edition. I'm Isles Blog's Joe Bono. A reminder to subscribe to this show and all Lighthouse Hockey podcasts on iTunes. You get Islanders Anxiety with Dan and Mike, Isles Buzz with Nolan Dan, and more. Lighthouse Hockey, SB Nation's home for your New York Islanders coverage. Our guest tonight is the columnist for WFAN.com covering the New York Islanders. That's Andy Graziano, and he joins us now. Andy, my friend, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Joe. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Andy, it's remarkable, this streak. Probably the only thing that's more remarkable about the Islanders' 13-game uh, uh, streak with a point, 12-0-1, is that they've only picked up one point on the Washington Capitals in that time. Um, last night at the Coliseum, a 5-4 win over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Probably should have been 5-2, a little sloppy there at the end. Uh, but nevertheless, Islanders with a, a familiar formula uh, to picking up yet another victory. Yeah, you know, I think that if anybody would have said that this would have be how the first 17 games would work out of this season. Um, it would have, they would have had to have had a crystal ball because I don't think any of us saw this coming. I know I certainly didn't. I'm the first to call myself out on that. Um, I wrote a couple of columns, as did many people over the summer, about the lack of activity by general manager and team president Lou Lamarillo. Um, the fact that Barry Trotz made a personal call for more offense last season and Lou just, for whatever reason, um, you know, didn't or couldn't get it done. Um, and I think that we all felt that anxiety coming into the season as far as that, you know, the, the big R word, the regression. 
that was kind of due to come. All the analytics were pointing to it, but you know, at the end of the day, it's just hard not to preach um, in the climate that we're in today. It's it's really hard not to back Barry Trotz for freaking president at this point. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I say that half jokingly, but. You know, the Islanders are sitting here after 17 games. You know, last season, I tweeted out today, they were 9-6-2. and two. Here they are at 13-3-1. and one. The only two teams better than the Islanders in the league through this stretch here is, as you just pointed to, the Washington Capitals, who have played three more games, I believe. Yeah, three. And the St. Louis Blues, who I believe have played two more games and are the defending Stanley Cup champions. Those are the only two teams in the entire league that are better than the New York Islanders after the first 17 games of the season. And I think that that is a reflection on kind of how lunch pail this team has become under Barry Trotz and the sacrifices that they're willing to make for their head coach. I think that, again, when look, I was a Jack Capuano fan. I'm also a fan, however, of coaches having a shelf life. I think they all have one. Um, I think Jax was probably past due by the time he was finally let go. And when a guy, and I'm not saying this isn't such a negative against Jack Capuano, but when you have a guy like Barry Trotz walk in and he's showing all the players that shiny ring on his finger, you know, that thing is, that thing commands attention. It's what every single player in this league plays for. It's what every single one of them wants. And when you have a head coach that has one of those, it, it, it's, you know, carries its weight in gold. And, that's exactly what we're seeing right now. The Islanders are a definite reflection of their coach because, let's face it, the analytics are right now are just as kind to them as they were last season, right? The PDO is up. The course is down. It's a very familiar theme that we saw last year. They're not possessing the puck. They're being outshot consistently five-on-five, five, yet they're just winning hockey games every single night in, in different ways with different heroes. Derek Broussard is all of a sudden – scoring goals again. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, it's just crazy. It's crazy. And I hope I just I, I hope that the fans who have suffered for so long and and have gone through so much pain with this with this organization and this franchise. I just I really hope they're enjoying this ride leading into Belmont because they certainly deserve it just as much as the players do. I want to get into the change in mentality around the team and the expectations around the team. Here's Barry Trotz after the game last night, a 5-4 win, 13 straight games with the point. Listen to the coach. I thought for us we were just okay today. I, we, we, we're a lot better than we were. Um, uh, we can play a lot better. Um, but I don't want to take anything away from the Leafs. They, they played hard and got a good team. But uh, I just didn't like some of our decisions uh, early. There was times where you know, we'd go five or six minutes. I didn't mind the way we were playing. And five or six minutes I just thought we were – not really as sharp as we needed to be, just on our exits and our entries and, you know, all those type of things, just our battles. And then uh, second period, I didn't, you know, we got off to a little bit of a tough start there. They got a quick goal and got some momentum off that. And uh, I thought in the third, we we just sort of locked it locked it in a little bit for the third, and then we got the 5-2 the lead. So, Andy, after years of watching this team and them lose games, you know, 4-3 or 5-4 or losing a shootout yep. or overtime, and then as an Islander fan, you would kind of take the positives from the game. Who scored a goal? Who played well in net? Who looked <laughs> promising on defense, right? And you would try to take positive things out of losses, and now you have a coach who highlights 
the things they need to work on after wins in a 12-0-1 stretch, sounding as if you know they just lost that third straight. It's a beautiful thing, and how much of a contrast, Joe, that is. You just summed it up perfectly, and how much of a contrast that is to what we heard out of the aforementioned Capuano, right? I mean, every you know Jack, especially toward the end there, would simply just in those losses, as you mentioned, would commend the team. Oh, you know, we we worked hard tonight, or you know, we we played a gritty game. We just didn't get the breaks. And as you said, how different, how much of a contrast that is to Barry Trotz, who off a 13-game point streak and a, a win, a home win, he comes out and says something like that. It's exactly the kick in the pants that this team needs because, look, he's right. They didn't play a great game last night. They had some stretches where they, they ran out to the lead. They, they bounced back well after the Leafs tied it 2-2, um, got the big goal from Broussard. Um, in the third, and then kind of fell asleep at the end there with a 5-2 lead, and, and, you know, it kind of got everybody in the building anxious, like, are we going to see the same old thing again? Is this the start of something bad? But, you know, with them heading on the road now for 10 of their next 13, that's exactly the message that, ca- that you know, that, oh, look, I almost called him Capuano, that Trotz has to push, <laughs> has, has to push, that, hey, you know, guys, we won this game, but we were kind of lucky to win this game. This is not acceptable. You know, that game at 5-2 would have been acceptable. At 5-4, it's certainly not acceptable, a win, win or not. And I think that's the message that for so long um, just wasn't being preached in that room. And it's just, oh, my God, the contrast is incredible. It's like nothing I've ever seen. The, the, the difference in how the transformation of this organization has taken place has been just incredible to watch. You feel like he probably just knocks them down the next day in practice and in the film room. Like the next day, he's oh, just yeah. focusing in on everything that they did wrong and everything that they can exactly. do better. And, um, you know, just, you know, as a football fan in this town right now, and you listen to the head coach of the Giants, <laughs> Pat Shermer, and talking about how they're close and how they got the plan and, you know, they're not concerned. Like, this, that, that is what drives fan bases crazy when it's evident to everyone that uh, the team is not playing up to their caliber or that Absolutely. you're not coaching up to your caliber and you're not acknowledging those things. And here you have a coach where he's the Jack Adams award winner, wins the Stanley Cup, has done miraculous things with this franchise in the last year, year and a half, and yet he's not settling for anything. He's not complacent at all. And the other thing is, when they do lose games, because they will lose games, or when they blow a 3 nothing lead like they did against the Penguins, he's so steady in those press conferences. You don't feel right. like he's guessing at what the problems are. There were periods of right, time where right. Doug Waite towards the end, and I think we both liked Doug Waite and loved his passion, and um, you know, everyone was behind him getting the interim tag knocked off and being the head coach that year. But towards the end of that season, when this team kept on giving up goals, you felt like he did not know what the next move was. Where Barry Trotz, you know, we're going to get this fixed. We're going to get this cleaned up. And it always is. And they haven't had prolonged losing streaks because of that. And that's the thing with Doug Waite, right? People people forget the, the fact about Doug Waite is that he never wanted that job. He took that job as a favor. He didn't he he didn't he never envisioned himself as a head coach in the NHL. It wasn't a position that he that he wanted. Um so yeah, I mean I definitely agree with you. At the end there, Waite just didn't have any any solution for the problem. Like and going back to what you said about Trotz, uh, you know, ripping into his team after a win. Well not ripping into them, but being critical of their play after a win. 
you know, you could just picture him in the locker room with Casey Sezikis, who was a beast last night, right? 17 minutes, almost two on the penalty kill, won 11 of 16 faceoffs, was, scored the empty net goal at the end there, was just dominant in his role. And you could picture Trotz going, like you said, in the in the in probably the video review today, kind of pointing out a mistake or two that Casey might have made, right? Even after a game that Casey played last night. And that's what keeps these guys on that keel. That's what keeps them going out there every night and kind of grinding out these wins. And as you said, I was taking a look at that today about they're going to lose eventually, right? And they will. They're going to have their their, their time. But as you said, they haven't had long losing streaks under, under Trotz. He just doesn't let things steamroll. And, you know, even if the Islanders play to 55% of points percentage from now through the end of the year, that puts them at 99 points. I talk about it all wow. the time, about the importance of banking these early season points. Because now is when the teams that are, you know, teams aren't playing at their best right now, most of them anyway, right? There are some teams that certainly don't play up to their pedigree for the first two months, let's say. We saw it last year with the Blues, last place at, at, on New Year's, winning the Stanley Cup, right? Teams generally take a little bit of time to get going and get their engines really revving, especially the good teams. And... So now is when you have to capitalize on that and bank these points. Put them in the bank. So you know what? Later, if you, if you, you get hit with some more injuries down the road, and the honors have been hit pretty good already, later if you get hit with, God forbid, some, some more injuries or you start going through a slump or you're not really playing well, you're on that Western Canada swing and you're tired and you're feeling worn down and you might lose a couple or maybe go five games where you only pick up one or two points, you're just withdrawing from these early season points that you're depositing. It's just like money in the bank, and it's so crucial that, I mean, right now they're playing at like, what, a 76% points percentage? It's crazy. <laughs> crazy the pace they're on. This is historic. I mean, everyone knows that the team's uh, record was 15 games back in 1982, and that was a period of time where he did not have overtime. So they won 15 straight games yep. in regulation. Yep. So that's another level. I was at that. Uh, I was at that game too. The 15th straight win when Tanelli scored. I was there against the Colorado Rockies. Against I was the, there. Yeah. Tanelli scored. On show. Wow. I was present. With like he <laughs> scored with like 40. I think it was like 47 seconds left in the third. Yeah. yeah. My friend. It's funny. My friend who. You know, I grew up, I tell this story all the time, I grew up across the street from a lot of Ranger fans, and we played roller hockey together, and we played ice hockey together, and but they were all Ranger fans. And at that time is when the Islanders, I was 9, 10, 11, and 12 when the Islanders were winning their four cups. So I was like the king. Like nobody could say anything to me. I'd come out there in my, Brent, in my Brian Trotche jersey, and then later on I got myself a Brent Sutter jersey, and I'd come out there in my jersey, and there's nothing they could say, just nothing. And they were all Ranger fans. And... So my friend who's a Ranger fan got tickets to that Islanders-Colorado game that night. And the goalie for Colorado that night was Chico Resch, who's ironically one of the nicest people I've ever met in all my years of covering the Islanders He's and the NHL. He's been the nicest, honestly, the nicest guy I've ever met. But he was in goal that night. And, uh, yeah, so I was there with a friend who was a Rangers fan, obviously hoping the Islanders would lose and not have another thing for me to to talk about while we were playing on the street, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was an incredible incredible moment. And uh, people will look back, obviously, I think at this period of time, maybe not with the same um, the same regard of that 15 game winning streak, but you know the fact that you know this is this is in the franchise's history. This is going to be one of the best stretches of all time, and that's going to be the case yep. for all time. You know, 15 20 years from now, they'll talk about this stretch from October to November uh, 2019 as some of the best stretch in the history of Islander hockey. 
Uh, we're talking with Andy Graziano. You can follow him on Twitter at Andy Graz underscore WFAN. Of course, the story today was that Andrew Ladd was placed on waivers. Uh, Lou Lamarillo met with the media earlier today. This is what he had to say when people asked about the timetable for a Ladd return. No timetable. You know, uh, his play, uh, you know, his physical fitness uh, will determine that uh, we maximize the uh, conditioning rule within the framework of the CBA. Uh, and this, in our belief, is the best uh, for him and the best for us. So I think all of that is is true, right? He's coming off a serious injury, five games to get up to speed, especially when the team is playing this well and you don't need someone to come in and try to be a savior. There's no rush. I don't think there's any fear in the Islanders that he's going to be uh, you know, claimed off of waivers with uh, with that contract. So the real question is, does does he play then to a level at Bridgeport to where he makes a contribution um, to this team at some point, or does he get the you know Matt Molson treatment where he's you know making a good salary but is you know squandering away at the AHL for a year? Yeah, I I mean I kind of see Andrew Ladd more than that as you said that Matt Molson category. Than the than the former. I, I just I don't see. I just I look at this lineup. I I get a feel for kind of who trots trusts defensively and who he doesn't. And I just I don't I don't see him taking anybody in the current lineup's job. Look, they like. I know fans have been disillusioned with the lack of offense that Michael Dalcole uh, has been. I guess not producing would be the right way to say it. Um, but Michael Dalcole has been taking strides in his overall game. I think everybody can see that. You know, I thought last night he continues to look quicker on the puck. He's continuing to look a little more physical. Um, it's just it's tough when you're playing for such a defensive-minded coach to develop your offensive game, especially when you're not on a scoring line. So I think that, you know, you're looking at the evolution of that. You're looking at the fact that for reasons that, might be unbeknownst to some, uh, they love Leo Komarov, right? They just, they're, they're not going to take Leo Komarov out of the lineup as much as fans might stomp their feet. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So you're not going to break up the first two lines and insert an Andrew Ladd there. So I just, you're not going to break up the, the fourth line, especially when Matt Martin comes back. So I, I, I don't see, I just don't see a spot for him. I think he gets the hickey treatment. I think he just goes down to Bridgeport, helps bring along some of those youngsters that we're going to eventually see in the Islanders lineup, you know, the Oliver Wallstroms, the Otto Koibulas, players like that. Um, I'm, I'm kind of more – that's that's kind of how I'm thinking right now. I, just, I, I don't see Andrew Ladd making a, any contribution this year to the Islanders. I really don't. I just don't see where he and fits And it's crazy, in. and I think a lot of the, um, you know, venom – towards uh, Ladd, obviously, is based on a contract that if you were Andrew Ladd, yep. you would have signed that contract too, right? So he shouldn't blame the Absolutely. player for maybe being offered a, a big contract. No. And, you know, that was a product, no. uh, a big-time product of maybe panic on behalf of Garth Snow at a point where, you know, maybe they anticipated Definitely. Kyle Post Snow walking out. Uh, they really weren't making big overtures to keep him. Um, he goes to Buffalo, but they weren't expecting Franz Nielsen to leave and take less money to go to nope. Detroit. And when that happened, the Islanders coming off their first playoff win in 23 years needed to bring in someone to play with, you know, listen, when Ladd got signed, people were going, trying to rationalize this and justify it and feel good about it. We're thinking, you know, he's going to be a 30 goal scorer playing alongside John Tavares. And, and that certainly uh, never happened. I, I know he's battled some injuries, but well, 
listen, it was yeah, a but bad coming coming into and, that with all the signing bonus, it's it's not it, it's not really a buyout uh, a contract eligible for a buyout either, uh, which is uh, another aspect yeah. of this as well. But I think coming into the lad thing, right? He he was let let's talk facts for a second. He was he did average twenty six goals per season when he signed that deal. You know, he was a mid twenty goal scorer at that time, and you did kind of get the feeling that he was destined for John Tavares's wing. He played there for what two weeks and kind of never really saw it again. Um, so there wasn't really even time. He wasn't really even given time to develop the kind of chemistry that that you need for some for for you know for something like that so the fact of the matter is when he yes I had the same reaction everybody else did I remember it vividly I was out fishing with my son we were on the boat we were catching fluke and uh, it was free agency day and um, I saw the sign and come across my phone a little afternoon and I was like eesh and my son says what and I told him you know that, that the Islanders just signed lad and what the terms were and even he looked at me and he's like wow that's pretty bad <laughs> So even though Ladd was a mid-20 goal scorer at the time and we envisioned him playing the wing on uh, with John Tavares, we kind of all knew the moment it was signed that it was a bad deal. And But you're right, it was definitely a reactionary signing by Snow to kind of just get something done at that point. And uh, you kind of see how, at this, how now how that comes back to bite a team. So while I crush Lamarillo over the summer about his inactivity, as did many, um, Maybe he's just taking the more prudent approach, obviously, with contracts due next year for Matthew Barzal, Ryan Pollock, and Devin Tays. I'm not in any position to question – well, I mean, I guess I am as media in a position to question whoever I want, but I'm not going to sit here and, and make believe that I'm ever going to be as accomplished as Lou Lamarillo is in the world of hockey. So it's to the point where, sure, as a media member, I can I can give my opinion on what I think – his inactivity means and to, to me what it means to the club. But at the end of the day, um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know more than he does. So It's going to be fascinating what they do because it's already setting up similar to, to last year where the honors are going to be in a position uh, where they're going to be expected to be in the playoffs, potentially with home ice. Um, listen, yep. based on the numbers that you just said, you know, it's going to take a, a, a pretty significant collapse for them not to make the playoffs after a run like this. And uh, people are going to be looking at whether or not the Islanders are going to want to go out and acquire another another scorer. Yep. Uh, last year, he felt like it was not worth the price to mortgage a future. Maybe he felt like the team got where they were a year too early and weren't, and weren't ready to make that. But listen, if you're an Islander fan, and I was thinking about this on the subway going to work, because what else do you have to do uh, on the subway uh, going to the office, was I go, I thought to myself, I'm like, the Islanders can win the Stanley Cup this year. Like, why the hell not? That was like my thought, and I hadn't really allowed that thought to creep in at really at any point last year. Last year felt like all, you know, bonus, and, and this is all gravy, and this was so unexpected. Now I'm like, like, why not? Why not this team um, with the way they play, yeah, how I, they're yeah, coached good point. after last year's experience? And, you know, whether or not they're going to feel that way come – come the trade deadline to mortgage a little bit of this team's future. And whatever that is, I'm not sure um, to try to make a move. That's a gopher and move because obviously he did not feel like that was the way to go last year. Yeah. Well, I tell my son this all the time, as everybody knows by now, my son is a Ranger fan. I don't want to talk about it, but he is. And I still love him. I haven't disowned him. So let's just leave that at that. <laughs> but he might I come think back. That especially if you're watching tonight. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they kind of got screwed by the officials a little bit in that first period. But um, I tell him all the time, right, in the NHL, all you have to do is make it. I don't give a crap what seed you are. I really don't. I mean, home ice, yes, it's nice and all, but it's not really – we've seen before, it's not the end-all, be-all. You just have to make it. <laughs> make it into the tournament, and then from there, anything can happen. It played itself out perfectly um, with the Vegas Golden Knights in their first season. It played itself out, we saw right before our eyes last year, with the St. Louis Blues, who were dead and buried. All of a sudden, here they come to win the Stanley Cup. And look, let's face it, look at the Blues roster from last year, and look at the Islanders roster from this year. And you can pretty much make comparisons position by position. Maybe the Blues last year definitely played a heavier game than the Islanders do. But looking up and down that lineup, if you go through the centers and the wings and the defensemen and the goaltending, um, you can probably, yeah, I mean, I don't think any Islander fan would be remiss right now for for having those dreams. I think that, um, again, as you said perfectly, it would take an epic collapse after this run for them not to make the playoffs, it would be a tremendous disappointment and step back. And I, I don't personally, under trot, see it happening. Um, so there's a pretty good – I think right now, as it stands today, I was looking at Reagan King's tweet today. I think they're at 75%. Granted, 17 games in, small sample size. But, you know, again, 75%. Uh, it, it would just be epic if they didn't make it. So once you get in from there, anything can happen. I thought the field was wide open for them last year, and I really liked the fact that they had that second-round matchup with Carolina after beating Pittsburgh. I thought that was well teed up for them. I still don't like them in any series against Boston right now, but I just I thought the field was open for them last year, and I don't see why it might not be open for them again this year with another with the next few years' experience behind them. You're right. There's there's no way an, an Islander fan would be criticized for having those dreams. We'll have more of our interview with WFAN.com's Andy Graziano in a moment. You're listening to PT Isles. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. PTL, Joe Bono chatting with Andy Graziano. And I want to talk about uh, Thomas Grice a little bit here because I think there's another um, situation that's setting up uh, for the offseason here. Uh, with the way Thomas Grice is playing. And after his most recent win, I think E.J. Raddick tweeted out, you know, he's one of the more underappreciated players uh, for the Islanders. And I kind of tweeted back that, listen, on the team of underappreciated players, he might be the most (laughs) unappreciated player um, amongst them. And if you just look at the stats, I mean, he is now playing at a top echelon uh, goalie level. Uh, Robin Leonard, rightfully so, got most of the headlines last year. He was the Vesna um, finalist, but, you know, Grice played, I think, only about three or four less games uh, than Leonard during the course of the year, and obviously they split the Jennings Trophy. Um, certainly people, when Varlamov got signed, expected, you know, one more year of Thomas Grice. Uh, Sorokin comes over for Russia. That's your new tandem. Um, Thomas Grice is going to make it quite difficult for the Islanders because at the level he's playing, a year after Robin Leonard walking and going somewhere else, you potentially could have that again this offseason. He's just been incredible because he went from 
carrying them through the first rounds of the of the Florida Panther series in 2016, uh, to having yep. a so-so season, to taking a major step back, and now among the top goaltenders and save percentage in the league. It's, it's just remarkable, and, and not for a nicer guy underspoken Thomas Grice. Yeah, I, I don't think we hear we, – well, we definitely don't hear a lot from him because he really doesn't speak much, even – Post-game, after great performances and wins, he's always the first to call out his teammates. He doesn't really say much to us. The interviews are quick and they're concise, and um, so there's not really much material there per se. He just goes about his job every single day quietly. And, you know, I think, again, it goes, as we were talking before about the effect, the Barry Trotz effect on this team, you have the same kind of effect on the goaltenders uh, thanks to Mitch Korn and a guy who doesn't get enough credit. I tweeted this out a couple weeks ago, a, a guy who never gets talked about, and that's Piero Greco, who has been doing, who does most of the on-ice work with the goaltenders. You know, And I think that combination has just been magical. It has literally just reborn um, Thomas Grice. It, it did wonders for Robin Leonard last season. I would be a little bit, as you said, apprehensive going into this offseason if this continues the way it has. Uh, with how Lamarillo handled the whole Leonard situation. I didn't like it. I wasn't a fan of it. It was what it was. But I, I, I would hope he wouldn't do the same to Thomas Grice um, because I think that, again, if Grice continues these kind of numbers, he's going to command a pretty hefty a pretty hefty raise. I'm not sure he would get much term, but he's going to command a pretty hefty raise. And, again, Lamarillo's not exactly – sitting with a ton of money in the bank right now with the contracts, uh, like we said before, no. due up for Barzal, mm-hmm. Pollock, and Taze. So there, there's definitely there's – definitely, you're, you're definitely right to to have some uh, some cautious optimism when it comes to Thomas Grice's future. I think that, you know, all we can do right now is kind of look at the present and hope that he continues this, this work that he's doing with Greco and Korn and um, continues to put himself, I think, is the most important thing – you know, just hope for a guy like Thomas Grice, who is as as welcoming and, and professional as he is, you kind of have to just root for him and just root for him putting himself in the best possible spot heading into free agency and just, you know, let the chips fall where they may after that. Yeah, yeah Andy, we'll stay in the present. So far we've talked about Stanley Cup playoff matchups <laughs> and uh, Thomas Grice <laughs> offseason come July. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, back to the present a little bit. Um you know, Matt Barzell, I mean, he's, he's been the kind of the story of this of this run is, is his play. Because after they did not sign Artemi Panarin and after they lost Fopola and his 20 goals, you said, OK, um, who's going to be the players that now uplift their game um, to the next level, take it another step forward uh, to make up for the fact that they didn't sign that that big time sniper in Panarin and bring him in, and they may have lost some goals elsewhere, and they can't bank on Casey Zizekas getting 20 goals. But you know, if he keeps on racking up some empty netters, maybe he gets up there again. And here you have Matt Barzell becoming that you know dual dual threat player uh, that can not only be uh, among the best passers in the league, like we saw on the play to. Um, Broussard yesterday on the one-timer on the power play, but then also looking for a shot where it is. And um, he's going to get a big-time payday, we think, uh, this offseason. And uh, he has really become, you know, the face of the franchise. And listen, people you know, have fun with the chant, you know, Barzy bet, Barzy's better uh, when the Islanders <laughs> play the Maple Leafs and Tavares. They're different types of players. But, um, yep. you know, Barzell certainly has a little bit of a, of a magic flair that, you know, Tavares is much more workman-like. 
um, in his approach to the game and how he put up his numbers. Uh, he wasn't quite as dynamic as, as Barzell um, has been. I'll give him that. Yeah, I think Barzell's zone entries have been incredible this season. Um, he just commands attention every time he's on the ice this year. He doesn't take, he doesn't have many bad shifts, to be honest with you. Uh, I could probably count on one hand the amount of bad shifts he's had in 17 games. You know, leading the team in scoring as we expected. He's kind of at that point per game pace again that he was at from his rookie season. Um, you know, it was a year of adjustment last year for him, and it was a pretty big one. Um, you know, I go back to the comments that. Um, Barry Trotz made when Oliver Wallstrom got sent back down to Bridgeport, where I think he'll obviously with those nine games already in the bank, it's a very, very strong possibility that we don't see Oliver Wallstrom at the NHL level again this year because it burns a year of his ELC if he does. But I think that when Wallstrom got sent down and Barry Trotz's comments were around, you know, he's always been the guy growing up, but he's ne- he was never coached. It was a really strong criticism mm-hmm. for Oliver Wallstrom's past coaches. Um, and I think you can probably say a similar quote for Matthew Barzal, right? I, it's, it's hard to say that Barzal was ever coached, quote-unquote coached, in Seattle. Um, now he comes over, has an outstanding rookie season, wins Rookie of the Year, huge point totals. Uh, Shane and I talked about it. I, I never envisioned him scoring that many points in his rookie year. I mean, Shane actually had a, a friendly off-the-air wager about that that I lost. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then he comes in his second year, and it's – right, exactly. And then it comes in his, in his second year, and it's t- total – and Barzal said this himself. It was a really tough adjustment year last year, learning how to play hockey, learning how to play two-way hockey, and learning that the better you are defensively will actually create more offensive chances for you. And that's exactly what we're seeing play itself out early this season is, you know, the better that Matthew Barzell got under Barry Trotz's guidance in playing the defensive game, it has actually opened up his offensive game again. And again, I say this all the time. Every time I talk about this, I'm hesitant to compare players. I don't like doing it. And it's obviously hard to compare Matthew Barzell to any of the, the greats that we see in the game today, but we saw Trotz have a similar effect in Washington on Alex Ovechkin, right? where he actually got Ovechkin to buy more into the defensive aspect. And I'm not saying that Alexander Ovechkin will ever be a great defensive forward, but the more attention that Alex paid to that end of the ice actually opened itself up, and he kind of was re-energized on the offensive end again. And we're kind of seeing that same kind of coaching element seep its way into Barzal's game, and it's just the Islanders are reaping all the rewards for it. Now, the concern, as you said, will then come with the contract and the fact that, you know, for some strange, crazy reason, the Devils decided to give $7.5 million to Nico Hersher. And that that really has me uh, <laughs> has me not feeling too good about what Matthew Barzal and his agent are going to want out of the Islanders next summer. I feel like they're going to get something done. It might be a bigger number, but I think – you know, at the end of the day, I think Islander fans are going to be just happy that this guy's going to be locked up long term, unless something else yeah. happens. Well, the new things are the new things for Bridge Deal too, right? As, uh, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, right. exactly. If if they give him, you know, more AAV than Islander fans maybe expected prior to this year, based on a, a massive season he has, so be it. As yep. long as he's yep. locked up for you know seven, eight right. years, but you know that right. that uh, right. that hybrid type of bridge of three, four years at at, at a number that. Um, 
that that's going to make a lot of Islander fans anxious, uh, especially heading into yep. Belmont because that kind of stuff is not supposed to happen anymore. Um, my, my my last question for you, and the last thing I wanted to talk about, um, was is Josh is Josh Bailey. So Josh Bailey hit another Uh-oh. milestone yesterday. He had uh, had his 300th assist, and it was a perfect Josh Bailey assist. It was a blind pass that hit a bunch of skates, and then Casey Zizekas <laughs> put in an empty net goal. So we got the primary assist on that one. But you're starting to look at – listen, he passed Bob Bourne in games played. I was looking at the all-time assist records for the Islanders. If he gets 60 more assists, 360, and this is a guy who's gotten you know, 30, 40, 45 assists a season, um, and he's yeah. got what, three, four more years left on his contract, he'll pass Clark Gillies. He'll be third uh, – he'll be fourth all-time in Islanders' assists wow. behind Trottier, Potvin, Bossy, and then it'll be Bailey. Um, wow. Chance to play a thousand games as an Islander. You know, there are still always going to be those Bailey detractors out there, but you look back at that draft now, and I understand who they passed up. A lot of teams, they, the Islanders weren't the only team that passed up, right, on guys like Eric Carlson. Um, but he's putting together one heck of an Islander career. I mean, it it really uh, is know, remarkable. It, yeah, there's a yeah there's a compiler com- component to it, but you know what? You need that in your franchise. I I don't I don't get the Bailey hate show. I never did. Um, you know, I said it from the moment he was drafted. Do not get fooled into thinking that this guy is a goal scorer because he's not. This guy is a complete two way player. He's a passer first, and that's exactly how his career has played out. And the fact that he still has detractors today. I just I don't understand it. I just I think it's people maybe just hating to hate. You know, there are those people out there. There's always going to be those people out there that just for some reason or another just will never endear themselves to a player. And I think there's a portion of the fan base that that's where Josh Bailey sits. And I don't think no matter what Josh does, that's ever going to change. But you know, the the facts, as you just said them, just bear bear out a totally different story. Um, you know, this is a guy who in his last 255 games or so has almost 200 points in his last 255 games. You know, this is a guy mm-hmm. who is probably, in my opinion, arguably the best two-way forward on the team, right? Now, you can make an argument for Casey Sezikis. I happen to think that Casey doesn't generate as much offense as Bailey does. Even if Casey was on a better line, I don't think Casey would generate as much offense as Bailey does. Um, there's risk reward with any player, so people want to point to turnovers and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, point, yeah. Well, everybody turns the puck over at some point. There's risk reward to every kind of offensive player. There's going to be a risk reward aspect to that. So, I just I don't see I don't understand the detractors. I just think again he just he sits in a section of the fan base that'll just never endear themselves for whatever reason to Josh Bailey. But yeah, they're dug he's going to go down dug in against them exactly, and, exactly, and that's what it's going to be. But he's going to go down. When you look at the history Absolutely. books, uh, based on him signing that, that contract extension a couple of years ago, and uh, the expectation that he'll potentially finish out his career as an Islander, and the fact that he started playing games at 18, 19 years old, <laughs> it's a, I mean, there's a better chance than not, I think, Islander Hall of Famer Josh Bailey, right? I mean, it would be hard not Joe, to. Joe, you're right. You know, Joe, it, you're right. It's and, crazy, and but it's again, true. Again, you can you can dig in all you want, but the facts just don't support <laughs> the facts don't support an argument against Josh Bailey. And I think the most important thing that Islander fans can take to the bank when it comes to Josh Bailey is 
you just pointed to the contract that he signed, a very team-friendly deal, right, for the, for the point in his career he was at and on the offensive ascension that he was at. It was a very it was a team friendly deal. Say what you want about it, it was. And the fact of the matter is, he wanted to be here. The other guy didn't, and that's that. And Andrews Lee wanted to be here, and uh, he you know, he let the Islanders talk to Panarin as long as they wanted to and flirt with the other girl, and, and then they came back because he wanted to be here too. So um, the Islanders definitely have, you know, they got a close knit group in the locker room, and. Um, you know, it was evident during this offseason that guys wanted to be here. When Jordan Everly and Brock Nelson all get signed before July 1, you know that they, they yep. want to be here and they believe in what the team is building and they believe in the direction of the organization, uh, certainly with what's going on in Belmont in a couple of years. Andy Graziano, columnist, WFAN.com, covering the Islanders. Follow him on Twitter, at Andy Graz underscore WFAN. Andy, my friend, always a lot of fun. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll do it again this season. Thanks so much, Joe. God bless.